Welcome to today's episode of The Square, A Curious Conversation. Today, I'm really excited that we're gonna be here with my co-host, Robbie Good, who is the Director of Branded Environments at Corrigan, and we're gonna be having a curious conversation with Jason Roberts. And Jason, it's really kind of hard to put you into a category. You're a musician, you're a serial entrepreneur, um, you're a designer. We're just gonna, we're just gonna call you an all-around creative guy. Tell me a little bit about when you kind of first noticed your your desire to be creative and to do creative things yeah um i i would say i came from a, a musical family a small like my mom and dad are from small country towns and everybody sings and everyone plays a guitar or something so uh and early early on um i didn't have a lot of patience for learning songs but i i uh i seemed to wonder if i'd pick up an instrument i I, I tended to have this default to writing songs and, and I, I don't think I would have ever thought of myself as a songwriter or anything like that. It was just, it was kind of out of a lack of patience to, to learn, um, <laughs> you know, Stairway to Heaven, you know, you start the first three notes and you're like, oh, I'll just make my own song because this seems really hard. Uh, and so, and I think that just kept happening over and over again. And, and uh, eventually that led to this path of like, oh, I like to create. Somebody actually gave an analogy of like, what is a, an artist or a create, or what is the definition of that? It's like somebody who just constantly creates or has a desire to create. And I, and I think if I was going to use a, a story for me specifically, it was this, I had this propensity to like, if I picked up a random stringed instrument, my natural proclivity was to actually just start writing something whether it was good or not didn't you know didn't really matter to me as much as it was just to have you know um, create interesting funny quirky different sounds and things that's awesome so was there a particular instrument that you kind of either started with or kind of fell in love with that really kind of allowed you to have that quirky sound that you're looking for yeah no well i know it was i've always liked different peculiar instruments i mean i like banjos uh but not like five string, like claw hammery banjos, like you hear from in, in like old bluegrass. I liked like more of the uh, kind of old style, like uh, traditional jazz, you know, four string strumming kind of banjos and loved the sounds of ukuleles and toy pianos, things that were evocative. Uh, and my dad always played a guitar and, and he would buy me guitars and they would constantly break because I would uh, wrestle with friends or something and the necks <laughs> would come off and he'd re-glue them back on. And I had no desire to really kind of like work on it. And then I think what the first song I was like, like, that's a cool song. How do you play that? Was White Lions When uh, when the Children Cry. I thought, man, that's that's a that's a pretty hot number there. <laughs> and, so, and so I think I, I found tablature and attempted uh, to learn that. And it was really difficult and, thought, and then started writing my own things. But my early uh my early uh kind of memories of that stuff was finding really bad music and trying to replicate it and fail so how did that translate into a design career yeah that's a that's a stupendous question <laughs> it's, uh, i would say you know it's, it's interesting on the design stuff uh, especially for cities uh, i'll say early memories for me was like walking through new orleans my parents you know took trips there and, and to me new orleans was such a strange town so different from anything else i had ever known so this uh seeing these like old brick streets uh or cobblestone streets and gas lights and these um 
old buildings that you know were kind of falling apart and you had this lightness and this dark you had voodoo and catholicism mixed with you know strip <laughs> strip clubs and like um nunneries it just it made no sense uh but it was exciting and it was it felt alive and that made me start thinking about cities and i think when i originally started actually designing and putting things together in, in streets um, to try to kind of replicate the things I was seeing in other places. I failed so often that at some point in time, I started paying attention to like, why do some of these work and some of them don't work? And that's where design became kind of uh, uh, tantamount to, uh, to, to figuring out what people gravitated towards. So once I started, you know, paying attention, it's like kind of whenever you finally pay attention to typology, right? You never really thought about it before. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, there's fonts. So like, okay, well, and then there's sans serif fonts. Well, okay, I understand that. But then you really start thinking about it deeply and uh, and, and then realizing that it actually has some type of uh, uh, effect on how you feel about the way you look at things. Uh, that to me was, you know, kind of, again, for me, it was attempting to do these things on my own uh, replicating things I saw, not doing well at it, and trying to reverse engineer what, why <laughs> does it work for some people and not for other people? And then it, at the heart of that was design, I think. Do you see a link uh, in your proclivity to, uh, you know, pick up an instrument and just start playing it yourself? Uh, a link between that and the desire to, uh, you know, build your own better block or build your own coffee shop or restaurant or jazz bar? Yeah, uh, I, I see there's definitely a thread between all of these things. Uh, but um, And I'm trying to think of the design component that's at the base of it. Really, I think what's at the base of the connection between like, the, like my jazz bar or the restaurant is this um, desire to um, make places that that evoke an emotion and ideally an emotion of like joy or of like of wonder and because um, that's the stuff that moves me and so uh, you know if you think about you know whenever you know it started doing the better block projects and I you know you take these landscapes that were somewhat barren or blighted you know and just maybe overbuilt and and, and just you start infusing just little, design details so like by painting bike lanes and adding string lights and adding um, cafe seating adding plants um, you know really at the end of the day you're creating this place that people have this emotional response to um, I'll say that's similar to with music I remember going to shows or listening to certain songs and having this emotional response to a song and when I would write music I, I would go into it thinking like how do I also evoke an emotion uh, on something and, and, and you know Robbie I know you're a musician as well and you know this feeling when you you perform something and you see somebody respond back to that especially if it's joy or tears or whatever it's that's very cathartic um, and, and you can sit down and remember when you were writing those things and thinking like man I was emotional when I was writing this piece and I'm really glad I'm able to convey that um, during this performance, and it's also evoking a similar response to what I felt when I was writing. And again, I, I, that that thread runs through all of these things, whether it's you know Rellers Hall with a jazz jazz venue, and, and knowing that I want people to come in here, I want them to you know in their mind like what is the 
what is in your mind's eye about like kind of the ideal jazz setting? And for me, it was like, it's a dark club. It's a small room. It's maybe smoky, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's somebody playing a piano. It's, you know, it's a low light. It's, uh, and, and, you know, it, that to me is exciting trying to figure out, pair up this, the idea in your mind, uh, with manifesting it somehow to ultimately again, uh, create an emotional response and hopefully one again that's moving at the end sort of like creating the perfect playlist but with like the physical environment i like that yeah our mixtape genre which is just one of those things that kids these days just aren't gonna like it's gonna be so hard to kind of try to explain we, we used to have to listen to the radio and wait <laughs> and hit the record button <laughs> and then the dj was talking we were like shut up this is i gotta capture this and then you stop it and then yeah so that that kind of thing the era of making a mixtape for a girl at school is completely dead now it's just you send her a spotify playlist. yeah it's the spotify it's not the same it's not the same you didn't you had to really work <laughs> you had to call so, the radio station hope they would play it wait for three or four hours <laughs> it'd be on at 2 a.m you're like damn yeah so, you know, certainly one of the first things I remember reading about you or, or, or hearing about you was Better Block. Explain to people a little bit what Better Block is. Yeah, so um, really, uh, Better Block, um, kind of what the genesis of that was seeing these places I liked when I travel um, or even seeing them in pictures online. And, and so, like, let's say, you know, you go to Holland and you you ride on this incredible bike lane um, or you go to Germany and you, you have this amazing experience in a German beer garden and coming home and trying to explain to people like, you know, we should really, you know, paint a bike lane. Like, cause I, I rode on this one in, in Holland and it was amazing. And, or in, you know, Germany, you should build, you know, we should build a beer garden. Cause I had this experience in the, you know, in the English gardens in Munich and it was so profound. And the fact that you could all, we could all get beer in a public setting. It's a public park, but it was, you know, it's sponsored by the, by the country, um, you know. And so as I went down that path and I was trying to, like, uh, um, advocate for those things, uh, what would happen time and again is, 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 well, first of all, people say, well, we don't, it's illegal, you know, it's not allowed, it's not zoned or what have you. And the other issue I faced was, like, um, if I tried to say, well, we should do this, you I was constantly kind of bombarded with worst case scenarios of why, well, you don't do that. And this is the reason why it's going to be an abject failure. And, you know, it's going to create, you know, Carmageddon if you change our streets and it's going to be like, you know, you can't just let people drink beer in the park. Yeah, they do it all over the world. But, you know, if it happens here, it's going to be, you know, mass chaos. So I realized, you know, that process to make those things happen, um, would take years uh, or decades, and I and I really just am the most impatient person ever, and so I was like, well, why don't I just do it like a party, and we'll just kind of create it uh, and have people experience it? Because again, I, I'm I'm drawn to the idea that people uh, make decisions based on their emotions more so than on data. In fact, if anything, data can almost hurt you because when you try to say like, well, the data says this, people start um, questioning the data sources, you know. If it doesn't jive with their, you know, personal um, belief system, um, but what you couldn't argue with is a feeling, right? And so people make those decisions based on emotions. So I'm like, if I can transform this space, 
I can paint the bike lane, add the cafe seating. Now they might tell me like it's going to be Carmageddon and all these other things, but if I do it overnight, we bring people together, they'll experience it, and they'll be like, I don't know um, what all that stuff, this stuff is, but I like how this makes me feel. So mm-hmm. Better Block was all about this concept of like let's let's rapidly go in and 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 create that space and give people a taste of it. Um, so we'll paint the bike lane, add the cafe seating, add all these things, and then um, see how it works, have a conversation about how it works, and then pull it all out. And then that way we're myth, we're getting away, we're doing myth busting, and we're just, we're letting people kind of uh, uh, try it before you buy it. Uh, and I found that process really knocked out all these traps that were like set up that we, that we, because again, you're trying to get people to buy into something that's very foreign, and 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 we all know change is hard. Um, but again, if if you could give people that experience and they realize it's not as scary as they they thought, uh, and I had this happen to me time and again. I'm trying, I mean, just recently we built parklets, but getting those off the ground in, in Dallas, you know, I've been working on it for ten years, and it was such a struggle. And, and and even months before we built ours, which we just built ours illegally. Uh, um, it was, you know, we're just, we kept hearing it's going to be like drunk drivers are going to hit it. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be, uh, uh, create all of these traffic pattern issues and we have, we're missing parking anyways. You can't do that. And, and so I had to go in and, and just build it. And then once we built it, they're like, there was no drunk drivers hitting it. Everyone said homeless people be sleeping in it. Didn't happen. You know, all these things, but, and now we have this beautiful parklet and, you know, and it got a lot of national attention and, 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 and it's, actually what we want the city of Dallas to like look like. I think we want it to look like an outdoor vibrant setting. Uh, and so anyways, it's a long answer to your question of like what a better block is. It's really a mock-up uh, of a space uh, to show its potential. And then not to go in and presume this is the best way. It just to say like, does this work or does it not work? And there might very well be instances where it doesn't, but let's use the scientific theory. Let's try some things, see what happens. And if it fails, we'll take the parts out that don't work out. But at the stuff that does work, let's let's continue with those and build upon them. So, a, a big part of you know the idea behind Better Block and and some of the you know structures you guys put together, uh, you know, are rapid prototypes. And you know, a lot of different industries you know take that approach. Um, when you look around the world, which industry excites you in a way that is pushing boundaries towards the integration of critical ideas and technologies? Uh, well, I don't know, critical ideas and technologies, but, uh, you know, again, my, one of the big inspiration I, I often tell people for me is, is, and it comes back to music. It's, it's like what Jack White is doing, uh, and taking, you know, he's starting with this, you know, garage band in the, uh, late nineties, early aughts, um, that's got so many constraints to it, but it, it ends up making this great music. And then after that saying, well, what else do I do from here? You know, he goes into the world of collaborations and then he eventually starts going into like, let's start pressing our own vinyl and developing his own record store and and um, in promoting kind of this little lifestyle of, of you know, analog music. Uh, and, and then from there now he's off to the races and he's going into making, you know, baseball bats and other things like that. I, I love when people um, don't stick within this one category, uh, but absolutely see like, how does this affect other people? parts of life and how do we um, start breaking those things out. I'm, I'm sure there's probably better examples that are, you know, Elon Musk is making rockets and then like uh, boring systems or whatever you call them. But so, but that's, you know, that's probably far more grandiose. Jack White seemed far more accessible, even though he's got a Grammy, Grammys and all these other things, but it seemed 
like you know being a musician at my base I, I loved I love that idea well certainly you know innovation and creating new things are, are kind of big buzz topics right now should there be a focus on transformation and repurposing and reusing what we already have whether that's you know in better block or design in general how do you how does that play in i mean I, one of the things that i love is uh, in a lot of your music you're all, you're looking backwards a lot of times for inspiration of things that you're creating that are new how does that play into design well uh, i think the kind of the, the, the huge opportunity really is is on is going to be i mean you say retrofit and, and really it's with the the infill opportunities um, um the tricky part we face here is, is, you know, with any kind of infill, which, you know, I used to be one of those people that, you know, we get upset because we build these suburbs and we keep sprawling. But then I realized whenever you start doing neighborhood work and you start trying to infill things, um, it's so hard to, um, to, to, again, since the community is so reticent for change, even though they, everyone says we need change, they're absolutely terrified of the unknown. And they make with all these presumptions. I think you can see why we continue to, to sprawl out, right? Because it's like, well, I can take this this empty field over here, and you know, the the government will just build some pipes and some roads out here, and I can make my development. I don't, I'm not have to do any kind of um, uh, long term, like you know, kind of uh, try to convincing of why this yeah. is a good or bad thing. But I'll say ultimately, you know, there's the opportunity is is that we have we've like people talk about Dallas having like um, affordable housing issues but you know we're so crazy sprawling like it's 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 ridiculous how sprawling we are and it's like that's really not a it should not be a problem at all I know we've talked about the idea of auxiliary dwelling units and granny flats but absolutely like we could give those uh, opportunities to residents to, to fix that problem but the backside of that is that uh, people are afraid of density. And so that's the irony of all of this is like, you know, the things we love about cities um, are um, like, you know, parks that are full of people, the buses that are being used, public transit's being used well, and all these little tiny shops, mom and pop shops. Well, that only works with density. Um, so it's this, you know, and people, they hear the word density in their mind, they think uh, Shanghai. Um, and so you have to kind of like, back in that a bit so so the interesting thing it's like when i hear people saying they're they're opposed to gentrification but but they're also opposed to density and you're like well i can we can fix some of these problems but if you're opposed to both of these things i don't know how i'm going to you've taken away of all the tools because we're dealing with a geometry issue at this point you know there's only so you know you've got people and your population increases and you only have so much space you've created for that the the people that are there um it's you've, you've, we're, we're in a dilemma. So really, we're like saying, well, we don't want to deal with that problem. So we're going to just continue sprawling out. So because, again, it's less of a headache. So, yeah, to me, it's, it's getting our heads around the infill issue, being OK with that, being OK with, you know, uh, um, you know, having creative new things happening in, in, in neighborhoods. You know, I had somebody tell me once that was much wiser than me because, again, my background wasn't urban planning, or urban design. I was IT consulting uh, was a. Uh, um, as a transportation engineer, his name is Keith Manoy, city of Dallas. Y'all may know him. He's a really great guy, but um, uh, retired now. But he was like one of the, the ma- major issues Dallas did uh, that created problems for us is we went all in with a single family detached home. And I hadn't really thought about that. I didn't even know what that meant, really. Mm. 
the time. But then as you kind of extrapolated that, like, oh, that it does make sense because, you know, um, we took a city block, you know, and if you if I were in like a suburb of London, Ealing, you know, that the same size block would probably have row houses with, you know, you know, um, 150 people in them comfortably. But we'll take a city block, you know, neighborhood block in, in Dallas and we're going to put 25 people in it. Um, yeah. and, and so um, and then, you know, argue about the idea to add. 35 people in that space and say why that's a bad thing. Um, so, so that's, you know, I think that's where the, our challenge is going to be uh, through all this work is designing these infill uh, concepts, showing people that, look, it's not terrifying. It's not the end of the world. And it actually can be built by the neighbors and the residents. So this fear of developers or outside speculators, well, that can go away if you, again, give the tools back to the neighborhood. And you, you've talked a little bit about um, you know, the neighborhood and the importance of the community. Um, do you think there's important questions that designers aren't asking themselves or their clients and, and especially the community? Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think that's there's a bit of a, I, I would actually probably flip that on its head. I think, um, cause the problem is, I think we know the questions to ask, like what's wrong or what's missing or how do we improve things? Um, Part of the issue I found we face, and this is probably, I think, one of the inherent worries about human-centered design is like, you know, is it just, you know, just, just ask people what they want. Listen, you know, we say, and ask them what they want. The thing is, though, the average resident has not been exposed. Um, like you say, what should we add bike infrastructure? Like, yes, we should have bike, uh, bike infrastructure. And we ask, well, what kind? Well, the average Joe or Jane has not seen uh, all of the different options when it comes to bicycle infrastructure that's out there. And, um, and typically what's going to happen is, um, you know, if when I ask somebody, like, what, what do you want uh, for your neighborhood? They're like, like, I want to be able to drive and park at the front door. But then I also want, you know, uh, I want to parks full of people and I want these classic main streets and all these things that actually that are that don't work together, that are kind of counter. Uh, and, and so uh, I think one of the issues that we, we, have, to, we have to understand as, as the designers uh, is that you have, to, you have to, it's kind of like being a doctor, right? And if I ask my kids like, well, what should, you know, you're eating poorly, what should you eat? And they're like, I should just eat donuts all the time. And you, and you know, well, like, no, that's not healthy and you're just gonna gain weight and things are gonna get worse. And you're trying to like, but what is this thing that because if I just give you salads, you're going to get upset and you're going to like <laughs> uh, revolt. <laughs> and so there's going to be this kind of mixture in between. And I think that's what we're having to figure out as the design community is like listening to to uh, what the community is saying the issue is. But then realizing like the community has not seen all of the different medicine and tools that are out there to fix these problems. And many of them are going to seem very counterintuitive to what they know. And which again was why the better block came up with the like, you know what, some of these concepts, like if I'm gonna add a bike lane, I'm gonna to have to take away a car lane. And that's gonna be pretty jarring in the beginning. Just like, you know, you're taking mm -hmm. away donuts from the kids, <laughs> you're just giving them, so I can't just give them only, sat like you're gonna to have to figure out this kind of hybrid approach, which is kind of the worst. We're basically building the futon for communities, which is not comfortable for sleeping or sitting, right? So it's like we're, we're designing these infrastructure that's not great for driving or bicycling. But ultimately we're trying to get to this point where we're creating you know, the optimal uh, equitable solution 
that's going to uh, yeah, promote uh, a healthy lifestyle, um, you know, and that's, also, that's going to promote a neighborhood. Uh, and so, anyways, that's you know, I don't, it's not an easy answer to your question, but again, I think uh, I think that we we so quickly want to jump to like, well, just do what the neighborhood wants. And again, I don't think the neighborhood knows all of the options because they haven't ridden in a Dutch style bicycle lane. They haven't, you know, had a, an experience in, in a Zocalo in Mexico City with a, a marketplace uh, that way. And so to understand like, well, we, we need to have markets. Well, what kind of markets? There's lots of markets or, you know, what scale should those look like? And do you want it to promote people walking uh, in their neighborhood or do you want it to just facilitate you know, uh, uh, you know, a new business opportunity. It's going to employ a bunch of people. Do you want to have small business opportunity? I mean, all of these questions. Uh, and again, um, it's, it's. I think the onus is on us to go as the designers to to learn a lot, study a lot, take in a lot of opportunities and experiences, and again, find a way to to ease these into people's hands. Just to 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 to, to again test drive them if they can, if you will, uh, and then hopefully. Um, say okay. We tried. We tried these four bike lanes out. We tried the Shero. We tried the painted bike lane. We tried the buffer. And we tried the grade separated. That grade separated by far the best. And like, and you could know that because you're like, well, yeah, we know this because the Dutch figured that out 50 years ago. Um, and yeah. they tried all the other things. <laughs> um, we're just having to work our way through their process now. But we could go right to that if we wanted to. And so, that to me is is the the the, the trick that the the the, the, the struggle that we were faced with. It's, a, it's it's an education. You use BetterBlock as an education tool, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, because again, I it's and I, I'll go back to bike infrastructure because it's the easiest thing. And I know something you know you as a cyclist yourself, Robbie, you understand this as well. And you and I are both not recreational style cyclists. We're not we're not you know spandexy cyclists, right? We we will ride a bicycle <laughs> to go you know to the grocery store. Or to go spandexy to the, cyclists. That's Got right. it. <laughs> we're like we go to the bar and grab a beer, cyclists, right? Um, and so you know what is the most comfortable way to do that? You know that's going to make me want to do that over driving a car there. Uh, and so you know um, yeah, I think that giving you know. You traveled, fortunately. I've traveled, and we've experienced all of these. And the nice thing, when you've seen a slate of options, you can see how it affects the most marginalized in the community. And that's really what what I'm working at, at for what doing with this work is like. I'm seeing like, well, what I'm seeing with the Dutch style bike infrastructure, based on compared to what we're seeing in the Dallas style bike infrastructure, is I'm seeing a lot more women ride bicycles. I'm seeing a lot more older people ride bicycles. It's not just dudes in spandex right and so why is that and the, the reason why is it feels more accessible it's it feels more equitable it feels uh, uh more uh it feels safer um and all of those things that are creating uh hurdles or limitations to different groups of, of people and, and 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 so anyways that's that's part of the reason why demonstration i feel is, is so, so important so does is I love the idea of kind of trying different things out, not just to see what works, but what works for a certain area, right? Because what may work in Oak Cliff may not work in Plano. The idea though is, is that there needs to be the overall goal of having an increase in cyclist or, or these spaces. But how does, now that we're kind of in, or hopefully moving into a, at least a, a post COVID or a post 
peak of the pandemic world does how, does that affect that i mean you're talking about spaces where a lot of people would gather uh, are those is that affected by this you know this this pandemic well i i think what we're seeing uh happen now just a lot of random things and again this is kind of again myth busting and and we're, we're getting a chance to kind of uh override a lot of rules that would have probably taken mm-hmm. years to get through and the, the quick one i can give example of again is like the parklets that we built out uh, so, you know, these are basically just taking a parking space and making a deck and taking away the car space. Well, that would have been a battle had I done that um, prior to COVID. It was a battle. People were trying to do this. Uh, there was a girl in the neighborhood literally for two and a half years has been trying to get a parklet built and they could not get it through the city's uh, uh, um, kind of process. So uh, um, that's one example. Um, you know, you see here about to-go drinks being a thing right now. Like that would have never mm-hmm. happened had we not had. And then in. in the reason it wouldn't happen is everyone would come up with every worst case scenario why that didn't happen. And then finally, once the rules are out the window, we all try it and we're like, oh yeah, it wasn't into the world and why haven't we kept doing this? And then the governor comes back and says, like, you were probably gonna keep that, that's not a big deal. Well, that really sucks yeah. if you think about it. <laughs> we had to have a pandemic to finally upend something <laughs> that we're all like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> like, we're adults, yeah. we're probably gonna be okay. Um, but how do we peel some of this stuff back so we can experiment? So, but I think the opportunity though is gonna be in, um, the outdoors, right? It's, 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 people are going outside now because they have to go outside more if they want to be social and we're social beings. So we're going to do that. And it's recognizing all of the gaps and the problems with being outside here. Um, and, and now since, you know, if anything, it's this, this chance to kind of like finally take a lot of this infrastructure and, and, you know, as an urbanist, we kind of all belabor the point how, you know, the car is the reason why we've created a lot of these problems. And absolutely, I completely agree with that. Um, but it is so hard to unpack that because we live our lives based on our conveniences, even though we lament that, right? <laughs> because we all say like, uh, you know, I wish we had more slow food movements and people taking their time and having deeper conversations, but, but we also don't wanna give up fast food and these other things <laughs> and the conveniences that come with those. And those conveniences in our lives basically overtake the things that we actually appreciate about life itself. Because um, we're trying to get to something faster so we can slow down, <laughs> you know, ultimately. Yeah. And, and so now there's been a chance to kind of take out that thing that we're just using to get back and forth to places and saying, well, how do I just address the, the thing, the space itself? Um, and so to me, that's gonna be, that is the big opportunity right now. It's for us to look outside in Dallas. And again, you think about it, people don't think about Dallas as an outdoor environment. I started an outdoor retail store based on this very premise was because why does Austin, is Austin considered an outdoor space, but Dallas isn't? We have pretty much a very similar temperature. Uh, We're in the same state, Um, but it's really just kind of how we address the outdoors, you know? Um, you know, we, they engage their rivers, they create nice pathways and, and trailheads and they, you know, there's, they're, they're finding ways to make this, uh, irresistible and, and Dallas finds everything it can to kind of just kind of like, well, we, we've got an outdoor, but we don't really think about that outdoor and we're just going to, we're going to do most everything inside. So that's, to me, it's exciting for us to start thinking of ourselves differently and start applying the fixes in the built environment to hopefully make the places more desirable. So. Tell me a little bit. We'll shift gears real quick. When you're when you're working with your team, and whether it's on a, a restaurant concept or you know music or design or, or whatnot, how do you foster creativity in the team? 
Let's think. Um, well, so we, we have a pretty collaborative environment in everything I, I do. Um, I really love having a team. I like that salon style environment where everyone is kind of, you know, we're, we're very supportive of our staff and all the things we do of getting out there and taking on new experiences. And so at Better Block, for instance, you know, we, we have a budget set aside. So we have a staff member that loves to go to the New York design uh, show every year, you know, or, or you know, and I, I, I love when our team, like, let's sit down, what are your favorite, what movies should we be watching right now? What's happening and, and what books should we be reading? You know, and, and everybody just kind of, kind of having a brain dump together and, and talking about like movements and things that mm-hmm. are happening around the world. And then trying to kind of identify like, well, how can we infuse some of these ideas or these concepts into the, 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 the spaces that we, we have right now? And how can we promote some of these ideas? I mean, I can tell you like any average day, like, you know, I'll be sitting in Revelers Hall with my music director and I'm like, and say, you know, I saw, you know, this great musical. How do we apply, you know, how do we play some of those musical songs with our house band? Uh, and how do we start reaching out to the theater groups in the town and have them be involved with this? But then I'll turn around and go to, to Better Block and we'll have, you know, another group of, of folks at the table and say like, you know, somebody will say, there's this great, you know, uh, furniture group out of Scandinavia. How do we get them uh, kind of, uh, how do we start infusing some of the ideas that they're putting in the built environment in our own work as well? So it's, it's a very much a collaborative setting with creatives. All right, so as we start to wrap up then, Jason, is there what, what's the project that you haven't done yet that you really want to do i would i would really love to do uh um some type of mixed use development do, do a, a full-on kind of help bring in uh, a bunch of different architects a bunch of different designers uh urban planners um, and then also bring a bunch see what i frustrated now about when you look at the classic kind of main street in the U.S. now, it's all—it's a single block development done by a one master developer and typically one or two architects. And if you look at like any classic Main Street that's over 100 years old, that's not the way it was built in the past. It was, you know, a block that there's all these small parcels that you or I or a small organization we may have had or, or a group of friends or what have you. Uh, or nonprofits would have owned a slice of this and then we would have all built together and created this coral reef thing. It would have all been slightly different because we're using different designers and different you know, uh, uh, materials. Um, there's probably an overarching you know, uh, plan in place to, to how these have to be configured though. Uh, but to me, it's, it's creating something from scratch like that and letting everybody come into the mix and own a piece of that. Um, so again, uh, and getting back to a style of development, because I, I don't think people realize that this seems so far-fetched and how do you build these great places, but half the places that you love around the world that are, that are working in Paris or something are 500 years old or what you might love, were probably built by illiterate people you know, that, uh, that are still yeah. working great <laughs> and that are solid as a rock you know, to this day. So why did it work then and it doesn't work now? Uh, and, and I think it's because we've, we've allowed kind of only experts and only, you know, uh, um, a select few of industries and, and, and resources to be used in this to create these things or, or cap certain types of capital to be used in these things. And we haven't realized you have all of the resources you need right there in the neighborhood. 
to make that great place, that same great place you saw in Momar, Paris, you could actually make here. Um, mm. Unfortunately, it just seems outside of our purview because uh, we don't know how to manage the equation of co-responsibility. We just think I'll have one one group with a hedge fund, you know, that's going to come out here and hopefully drop 180 million dollars on, you know, one building. Well, I can't wait to talk to you after that happens. <laughs> You're going to be building one of the buildings, so. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Jason, thank you so much for talking with us. And Robbie, thank you so much for being here with me as well. Thank you for watching and uh, or listening, depending on which version of the podcast you're listening to. And we'll make sure to see you next week.